Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to air your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right. Welcome to Politics Done Right from the studios of KPFT 90.1 FM, Houston, your community radio station. We have a great program for you today. Check this out. We have a great show for you today. Do remember, we are in fun drive right now, but you are still getting yourself a great program uh, that we work at putting together for you. Stuff that you, some that you may know on a small level, some that you may not know at all. That's why we're here. Politics Done Right, KPFT 90.1. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. FM Houston. We're asking you to invest in this community radio station. But why? Because, folks... There's a lot of media out there, but it's not media that you control. It's not media that has your interests at hand. When we're talking about community radio, when we're talking about this community radio station, KPFT 90.1 FM, we're talking about a station that is solely funded by whom? You. And if it is funded by you, our loyalty is to you. Most other stations, commercial stations, they're funded by their advertisers and their advertiser needs to program you. And they need to have you in a particular modal. That is why our politics is so bad. Because we need you uninformed. Politics done right doesn't believe in that. Politics Done Right, KPFT 90.1 FM, Pacifica Network. We don't believe that. We believe that it is essential that you are in control. It is essential that you support us so that we can feed the ethos that we can give. We can enlighten with what is the absolute truth. In that light, I'm asking you to please call 713-526-5738 or go to kpft.org and support us. You can support us with a $25 membership, a $40 membership, or you can get any one of our gifts that you find there. Please do this in the name of Politics Done Right. Also, remember that you can get one of my several books out there. 
As I see it, class warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom for a contribution of $120, it's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors for a contribution of $120. How to make America utopia. Take away the economy from those who rigged it. Pledge of $120. You can get any two of those books for $200. Any three of those books for $250. That is in, That is to support our station. And all those books, I promise you, give you all that you need to have that conversation across the board to ensure, to help us make a better America. So please support us. Please support KPFT 90.1 FM Houston. Call 713-526-5738 or visit kpft.org. In the name of Politics Done Right, please select one of our books, several of our books, or one of our offers. We're here for you. You can get Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politics done right. On YouTube Live at politics slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My handle is at Egberto Willis at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. Before you get started, please remember to keep your community radio station in your minds. KPFT in your minds. Talk about it. Tell your friends about it. Tell them you know about this station in town, 90.1 FM Houston, that needs your support, that is there to provide what? That nourishment that we need. 713-526-5738. KPFT.org. Visit us online. Contribute online. KPFT. 90.1 FM. You can visit us at kpft.org. Today we have the honor of speaking to the president of One Hair States, Mr. Chuck Pinacchio. Welcome to Politics and Right. How are you doing today? I'm terrific, Egberto. Thank you so much for having me. I must thank you because the work that you are doing uh, in trying to get people together on this singular issue, I think is extremely important, especially in these days where healthcare is a hell of a problem throughout the country. Why don't you tell me, Chuck, a little bit about your organization? Yeah. So the organization is called One Payer States. It derives from the term single payer, which people are more familiar with. But it's the same concept is that we support guaranteed universal health care for everyone. So the organization was founded back in late 2009, early 2010 as a way to bring together different state organizations. We're now up to 20 different states that participate with us as a network uh, where we share ideas, best practices, uh, legislative ideas, communication strategy, organizational strategy. All of this is designed to accomplish the creation of a model of universal healthcare, single payer, Medicare for all, all those terms are interchangeable. Single payer, Medicare for all, guaranteed universal healthcare, healthcare for all. Um, and right now, the two leading states are actually up in the Northwest, the great Northwest, Washington State and Oregon. A lot of people hear a lot about California, but what is not on most people's radar screen are the states of Oregon and Washington that are as close to getting an actual universal healthcare system as any in the country's history. 
in our history. We've never had such a thing accomplished before. So the idea is to create a model similar to how, how Canada got to national health care through a single province, that being Saskatchewan back in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Once it caught fire in Saskatchewan, all the other provinces were incredibly jealous because it wasn't just getting universal. It wasn't just getting guaranteed comprehensive health care to everyone. It was an economic boom. For Saskatchewan. It's a jobs bill. It'll create economic stimulus, economic growth. It'll give people greater choice in terms of who they want to go to, in terms of their general practitioners, specialists, hospitals. Right now, as you know, insurance industry is holding us back. They narrow us out. They jam us into these networks. And then they gouge us, you know, on the front end and the back end with copays and deductibles. We need to get rid of all of that And so our organization is designed to, again, model a a successful plan uh, for single payer that will then be picked up by states that couldn't run fast enough to the solution. Now, Chuck, if I understand it correctly, you said that so far, the two states that are. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Furthest in getting close to this ideal, it's Washington State and Oregon. What exactly, what kind of model are they using? Are they still using the private insurance model or are they using some other model to get to, to, get to that place? Right, so both of them have uh, universal healthcare commissions or commissions that, 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 that um, are designed to create and actually draft the legislation. And they have majority single payer supporters, Medicare for all supporters on these commissions in Washington state. It's a permanent universal health care commission. And so that within the next year, they will finish the drafting. They've already done the economic impact study uh, and they will then put forward this legislation to the, the legislature and then to the voters. Oregon is on a similar path. But the core, the core principles of single payer, which is that all funding for healthcare needs to be generated at the state level. Plus, it also needs to capture the federal dollars that we're currently paying out in the form of Medicare, mm-hmm. Medicaid, veterans, children, uh, indigenous. All of these uh, funds will then be collected into a single pool or a single payer. That's where the term comes from. Right. And and it, and, it, and it will create immense efficiency, efficiency. Uh, it'll save money on the administrative side of upwards to 20 to 25 percent just right. on administrative savings. We've been talking about that for decades on just the administrative savings alone is 20 percent at, at least of the entire health care budget. Absolutely. And it's and it'll it'll liberate um, the, the business community um, that currently has to scramble to try to pay you know, costs that go up every single year. They have to shop around different insurance companies, all these networks. It's so crazy. It's convoluted. It doesn't make any sense. So then, Chuck, are you telling me then that at this at that point, those two states are really eliminating health 
insurance, uh, or rather basic health insurance. I imagine for those people who want esoteric type care, they can get some private insurance that's willing to do that. But as far as basic health care will be delegated to that pool that's coming in from all the federal and state dollars and whatever, I guess that is wonderful. So each of the state, the state itself will act as the insurer, the state. Mm -hmm. One one risk pool, one risk pool, which is excellent. Absolutely. Right. Right. And it's going to deal with all sorts of it's going to bring down the cost of prescription drugs. It's going to eliminate um, co-pays, deductibles and premiums. So it'll be a basic it'll be a a, a tax. Mm -hmm. We have to be upfront about this. But that tax replaces the existing premium co-pay. Extremely high. Those 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 premiums are extremely high. I imagine that's going. So, Chuck, let me ask you this then. How do you stop the uh, health insurance company, the drug companies, and all of these other stakeholders that are going to try to take hold to bust holes in this thing to somehow get privatization, which has failed royally in healthcare, uh, a foothold again? Well, similar to your approach to politics, we invite all stakeholders to the table and they get to say their piece. They can oppose it. That's fine. But we want to take the wind out of their sails which is to say, and expose them for the kind of behavior that they engage in, which is gouging people, sticking They're a fraud, yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But we want to bring them to the table so they can't complain about, you know, we we were in run, this is a secret thing going on. No, we're open and we're transparent and fully accountable to the citizens of the states of, of, of Washington and Oregon in these particular two cases. And also we need to bring together the stakeholders in the business community, in the labor community. Uh, in communities of color. I mean, in, 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 there's, a, there's a, a significant uh, population of indigenous Americans uh, in the state of Washington in particular. Um, and we want all those, those uh, tribal leaders and representatives at the table. We want the nurses and the doctors and patients, everybody at the table. And we want to create a broad-based coalition. And I guess the, the other thing that is different with one-payer states as compared to, say, other single-payer organizations is that we've expanded our strategic reach to include not just people concerned about health care, but people concerned about health justice, not just health care justice, but health justice. Mm-hmm. We want to bring together people who are working on, on housing issues, on, on access to food, um, on quality education, environment, climate. All these different social justice organizations need to be at the table as well, again, as the business community and even the medical industry folks, the pharmaceuticals, you have a seat at the table. We want to hear from you. You're going to get a fair share hearing, and then we're going to move forward with what is the is the popular and democratic process that needs to result in a system that will guarantee from cradle to grave, comprehensive, quality health care for all. I can't wait. I can't wait. And I'm glad that, uh, you know, people, you know, Republicans used to like to say that the states are the laboratories of innovation for new new policies, et cetera. Let's hope that they abide by that when they see how successful both Washington and Oregon would be. And, you know, it, it is funny because we know based on the math that it can't help but succeed unless some sort of a sabotage goes into effect. So, um, you know, uh, we know that that's a winning ticket. Now, um, do you, how, how soon after 
it, these bills come to fruition, do you expect a transition from a private, convoluted, bifurcated type uh, healthcare system to materialize into one large system that is, well, I should say one large system, one efficient system where there's one pair, which means there's no confusion. A lot of, a lot of healthcare providers no longer have to have entire staffs to go through one insurance versus another. They don't have to advertise anymore. They don't have to have multiple databases anymore when it comes to the payer side. How soon before we can actually coalesce into that reality? Uh, within the next couple of years. I mean, it, this is coming wow. down the pike. Yeah, this is very, very exciting, these developments. We're very, very excited about where we are right now. Look, Egberto, you know, for you and your audience, nothing's guaranteed in life. This is not mm-hmm. a done deal until it's done, right? We, we need to take every strategic, thoughtful approach that we possibly can. We need to think in terms of communication strategy. Certain audiences will listen to how things are discussed in a business frame very differently than folks who are, are coming at it from a social justice perspective, let's say. So we have to tailor, we have to target, we have to bring all of these thoughtful approaches to the table uh, in a way that will model, again, not only a healthcare system, but how do you get there? How do you get to universal healthcare? And that really does require reaching out to everyone and bringing everyone to the table. We can't be selecting audiences. We need to bring everybody to the table so that no one can whine and complain about something that's 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 occurring um, because this is it's got to be bottom up, right? It's got to be it's got to be bottom-up politics, uh, participatory politics, democratic participatory politics. That's the way we're going to solve this issue. That's the way we're going to solve food, housing, war, climate. All these issues have got to be bottom-up, and we have to connect all of ourselves. As, as Reverend William Barber with the Poor People's Campaign, the Moral Monday says, we have to get out of our silos and connect with one another. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. We call this this horizontal organizing across all bands across all social justice and beyond. Faith communities have a critically important role to play here as well. Absolutely. Folks who aren't necessarily political, but they share our values, right? They need to see that this is a, there's a moral imperative here. Others need to look at it, one looking at it economically. And as you said, and I've said, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer for the business community, for the, for the economies of, the, of these states generating jobs and actually allowing the United States to be globally competitive again because we're the only advanced uh, industrial society that doesn't guarantee health care for all of our citizens. It puts us at a distinct disadvantage in terms of global economics. We can actually bring that together. And also it promotes entrepreneurship and innovation mm-hmm. because businesses right now. Expand, are- expand on. I think that is a, I think you need to expand on that, uh, Chuck. How does it make entrepreneurial um, entrepreneurs bring out more entrepreneurs, if you will? It releases them from having to 
uh, as I mentioned earlier, go year in and year out. They have to stop. They can't budget in advance because they don't know how much their health care costs are going to be for that year for their employees, for their families. But if they know that that's covered, they can now begin to plan for investments, for infrastructure, for hiring. Now, right now, businesses are, are severely handicapped. And I'm talking about mostly small to middle-sized businesses. I, I want to add something to that, Chuck, because that I think is very important. Because also, many there, there are many innovative people that are attached umbilically to a company because they have a pre-existing condition. Because they fear what would happen if they detach themselves from a company, they don't have any health care. So they are they, they, they continue to be uh, tied to that company, where if they had the if they had the freedom to move, knowing they had health care for themselves and their kids, they could innovate, they could create new products. And that is those are the avenues that so many people fail to see that you see that your organization sees. So I want to thank you for you know for what you're doing. For, for bringing this to light, uh, bring further to light, and also bringing to light to us that there are, in fact, states that are following the Saskatchewan model to, to, start, to start the process. Since, we don't, since it seems so problematic to get the whole thing done at once, that Oregon and Washington are going to do it, and that you guys are a part of that structure, that is great. Yeah, I mean, and New York is actually poised to to move forward. They just need to figure out how to bring more people to the table. I mean, that's really it's a political problem. Um, But I think Washington, Oregon is sort of figuring out the the organizational piece. I'm in Pennsylvania, a very conservative northern Mm -hmm. state. And I think that we can break out as well if we get our ducks in a row. So I'm deeply grateful for you and your audience. Uh, You folks are so thoughtful. Um, and we can do this. We have to believe in each other, right? I think the, the, for me, going forward in our time of crisis is that real change begins with what I call radical hope. We have to go all in with hope, all in with hospitality, and all in embracing one another and seeing our common humanity. And I think we can solve all problems, not just the healthcare justice issue. Uh, look, I want to thank you, uh, Chuck Benacchio, for what you've been doing, for what you've done, for what you will be doing. I think it is important that we get more people like you doing this necessary work. So thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. Absolutely. You're terrific, Egberto. All the best. Thank you. It's been over a year since we've had a studio, since we've been in the studio at KPFT, since that time, we've had to sell our building and we're in the process of getting a new building. And we are going to have a lot of work to do to put that building there, but I can't wait. I just can't wait to have those phones ring right into politics done right. And I engage with you guys. You know, I love it. Whether you're on the right, you're on the left, you're in the middle, you're an anarchist, you're a communist, you're socialist, you're a capitalist. I don't care. I can't wait to get into the conversation. And you know what? It's coming. But in order for it to come fast enough, we need these fun drives. First of all, to stay alive, to keep the lights on, to keep that transmitter sending this voice across to make sure we can have that interaction with you. But most importantly, I can't wait to get into that studio and have you guys call in and we have that discourse. We have to have that discourse now before the election. We have to get busy. Man, there's only one station in Houston 
that is going to give us all that opportunity, that all that opportunity to engage, that opportunity to be a part of the body politic that everybody can hear. But folks, we need you. We need you more than ever. 713-526-5738. 713-526-5738. Please give us a call. Please support the station. Please make sure that when we get into that new building, we can we can bring you into that building. And guess what? You go ahead and contribute to Politics Done Right today. And I tell you, you will be in that studio on one of the first days when we open, sitting side by side and talking to our audience. 713-526-5738. We need you to be a part of the system now. Folks, 713-526-5738. I can't wait. I can't wait to have that bi-directional communication with all you guys, so that you can say, Egberto, I don't like what you're saying, or Egberto, I love what you're saying, or Egberto, I have something to say. Because that's what it's all about, isn't it? For us all to have something to say, to ensure that people know we are, we are all being heard. And that's what you get with Politics Then Right. That's what you get with KPFT. That's what you get with the Pacifica Network. So, folks, please give us a call, 713-526-5738, or go to kpft.org, kpft.org. We simply cannot do it without you. We cannot do it without you. So, please, again, be a part of this positive assertion, this positive notion that we, are, that we can actually make that difference, because we can. But to make that difference... We have to be informed. To make that difference, we have to let people know that we exist. To make that difference, we need you to engage with us. We need you to contribute to us. 713-526-5738. Check out these offers with my books that, that are, it's, it's a gift of knowledge as you help us go forward. Please get one of my several books books out there. As I see it, Class Warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom for a contribution of $120. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors for a contribution of $120. How to make America utopia, take away the economy from those who rigged it for a pledge of $120. Get any two of those books for $200, any three of those books for $250. The contributions for my books go directly to support our station, KPFT 90.1 FM. Alternatively, folks, please get your basic KPFT-only membership for $40, a Pacifica-only membership for $25, or choose from one of our many other gifts for your contribution. Just go to kpft.org, choose Politics Done Right for the program and select an option either for our books or something else to support the station. It is definitely worth it. Today we have a very special guest, J.D. Mass, uh, a former uh, manager for musician Nelly is with us today. J.D. Mass earned his doctorate in organizational psychology and became heavily involved in white anti-racism groups in Los Angeles and later in St. Louis. His, uh, this work inspired him to write 
Race for What? A wise thinker and guide, JD hopes to, for our society to finally connect the harm of racism and help create a humane world. JD Mass, welcome to Politics and Right. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, um, I, I want to read something that, that was in your, your work. It says, Race for What? Provides stories with the book Race for What? Provides stories with a unique perspective from a white man's experience and illustrates seven steps to heal. Mass encourages white people to work through the emotional and psychological obstacles in order to repair and heal the harm racism has caused. Bold statement. Thank you. Yes. I mean, that's that's what I feel like is stopping us from this change that we've been reportedly on our process of doing since the ending of slavery um, is is the dealing with the actual emotional and intentional um, side of it. What was going on? What led us to even create it in the first place? Let's identify what are those traits and then let's work through those so that we can see the value of healing. All right, let's go a little bit er- earlier on, because, I mean, one of, one of the hooks that I know you use a lot of times is like, hey, you actually worked with Nelly. You were Nelly's business manager for a while. I um, was. You know, uh, how did that come about, first of all? And how does that intersect with uh, your your notion of race? Did, was that instrumental at all or was that ancillary? So Nellie and I grew up as friends. He moved to our neighborhood um, and around the seventh grade, we started hanging out between eighth and ninth grade going into high school. And um, he and I became very close friends and I was always entrepreneurial. And as his career took off, he wanted to do some entrepreneurial things. And so he asked me to join him in that uh, process of helping him build his companies. Now, um, did you find that? that you learned something interfacing with somebody of color in business that you wouldn't have otherwise found out. And there's a specific reason I'm asking you that. So, yes. So um, as, as I mentioned in the book uh, on the chapter about my time with Nelly, uh, I noticed a few things. One, I came in with the white savior kind of sim- syndrome uh, approach to it. I wanted to make sure that I brought my level of expertise and I wanted to, you know, protect everybody and save everybody if there was mistakes being made and things of that nature. And I did while I thought I was being inclusive, I really wasn't. Um, and it took me some time to reflect on that and, and recognize that. Um, and, you know, I made decisions also on my own without consulting him um, that I thought was best for us, but not at that time. So that was my own introspection. I also noticed as we did Apple Bottoms jeans and we were trying, I mean, Apple Bottoms clothing line, and we were trying to expand that, that we were dealing with the white culture and finance that was looking to back us, but had no understanding of what black culture, black store owners had to go through, how credit wasn't afforded to them. So we were making sales based on future cash projections. And it was hard to get finances to say, oh, yeah, we believe they'll pay. And so it was a very difference in culture that made it different, difficult to do business. 
Yeah, well, you know, a lot a lot of people don't understand that they they believe that uh, you know you you start into business and they don't believe that somebody's hue can actually decide if you're going to get credit or not or if you're credit worthy or not. As a business owner myself, I've gone through a whole lot of that. Beat it, of course, but gone through a whole lot of that. And that you understood that being next to somebody who was actually uh, going through it what was a good thing. Okay, tell me about the seven steps for addressing the racial divide as you see it. So um, it's the step number one for white and it's geared towards uh, white folks. Step number one is to just not take a step. Stop for a moment and do some reflection, some understanding, gain some uh, understanding before we go forward. Um, Let's look at why racism could have started. Let's recognize that we don't have an understanding and oftentimes we don't even know much about black culture or any other culture because we've been taught only about our own culture as if that's the only one that's important, which feeds into this kind of white supremacy culture idea. Right. So step one, don't take a step, gain some understanding. Step two would be to actually acknowledge the harm of our culture beyond including anti-black racism, but beyond that as well, just in the way that we interact is so individualistic based and with this scarcity mentality that we bring, we don't understand community living. We don't understand that. So that there's harms that come from the way we have approached building our culture. And number three is to let go of privilege, let go of uh, control and, and let go of our fears so that we can be open to um, something new and something greater than what we're doing. I want to stop you on that part because you brought up the word privilege. And what, what I find that a lot of my um, uh, well, not a lot of my some of my white friends uh, think that uh, there isn't privilege because, let's say, you take a look at white folks in Appalachia that are living way below the le- the standard of living of, let's say, even somebody in 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 some of the ghettos in the major cities, etc. Um, how do you explain? As you, I mean, you rightfully talk about privilege. How do you explain that to your as as you try to put that out? So privilege has context when you're when they're defining it in those terms. Yes, they can make an argument for lack of privilege. However, there's been a system that has been supportive of white folks maintaining a level of advancement um, with ease that other cultures don't have. And so even though it should come naturally and it seems to, if it comes naturally to us and we don't really see how it comes, doesn't come naturally to others, we can ignore and, and, and be um, uh, blind to the fact that we have these privileges because they really off. I mean, they should. And in writing, they they do. Right. Like I read something the other day that said all lives matter would make sense if all people were created equal in the first writings of when we said all right. If um, if these, you know, uh, the pursuit of happiness and the and the justice for all meant all folks then. So then all lives would saying all lives matter has the same context as those then Black Lives Matter is because those never included Black lives in the first place. And that is the level of privilege that I don't think we get to understand. I, I, I want to add something to that. And, and then we'll 
go to your step number four. And that is, a, and, and I think it's something that is important that the, our listeners actually understand. I always give the example of uh, when I went for my first loan in business, it was in the 80s, it was for $40,000. I had a perfect credit. I had all these these attributes, good resume, good job, etc. A friend of mine, white guy, good friend of mine, he was a coke addict. Everybody who's watched him play with his nose know that he was a coke addict. He, he was starting a new business. I was starting a new business. We went to the same bank. The uh, again, we all wear our suits. We went into the suit into the bank. The bank folks spoke to him. They gave him a break. He got the forty thousand dollars. They told me, "Don't even bother filling out." An application. This was the 80s. That is what privilege looks like, just right. by a, an appearance that you don't do. And a lot of people don't quite get that. I can put a suit on with somebody from Appalachia and uh, uh, that knows absolutely nothing, and they'll get into the door. Right. And I would have to hope that I can get into the door. Just a thought that I, I wanted to put out there. Continue with your four, sir. I mean, I talk about it in the book. I, I was able to exchange anything at any store without question. And my friends exchanged things and were denied, would hand them to me in the parking lot. I'd go right back into the same attendant and, and exchange something exactly. for them. And that is the level of privilege at a small scale, but it's still a representation right. of common everyday life. So step four is to appreciate the value of other cultures, specifically for my case, uh, black culture, um, because we have ignored it. And, and so also going back to your level of privilege and this system has a target of oppressing things and the way that we set up, you know, we punish poor people, we punish this, that and the other. But I say at the at the bullseye of that target is uh, anti-black racism. Right. So, yes, it does hit other people on the target, even poor white folks in, in rural areas and all of these things that don't have some of the same privileges as others. But that target has a bullseye and then it builds from there. I have and a so, question for you, because um, you, 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 you say something that, you know, we can infer from it, but I I. I, I why do you think uh, we can have all that kind of privilege, but that specifically anti-black is an issue? What would that be? What would be the cause of that? So I think that there's one, a lack of understanding. Um, there's two, uh, a huge fear in in our and I believe the fear is in our uh, feeling of adequacy in comparison. Um, and and I say that. Because we we say that there's like a fear of of black retaliation if we were to do go through a stage of repair and reparations and whatnot. But there's no ever been a a level of of uh, retaliation throughout all the harm that's been caused yet. So that that fear is a projected one. I think well, our fear. Yeah, I, I want to interrupt a second again, because I mean, I, I you, you are. I mean, I'm so glad that you articulate that because it's an important point. But we actually have a great example. Apartheid didn't leave South Africa until the early 90s, as I recall. Mm -hmm. And when they had the Truth and Resolution, uh, Resolution Commission, as it turns out, nobody had anything to fear about. The, the millions of blacks that everybody were fearful would suddenly come down on the very small amount of whites in South Africa never occurred. Right. So we have right. examples that this is not how societies normally work. 
Yes. And that's and and that level of ignorance created by our fear. And I think our fear has to do with some level of insecurity. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, racism is massive, uh, very harmful bullying mm-hmm. at this like gross kind of cultural level. Right. And so when you start to untangle what a bully does, a bully tries to make themselves feel better by making someone else feel lower than them. Right. But that starts from a place of not feeling good about themselves in the first place. Somewhere in there, there's a desire to boost themselves, but their knowledge of how to do so is to make someone else feel lesser than. And so something in us needs to identify what is it? What is it about this lack of melanin skin that made us think that having less melanin, meaning I can't be outside as long in the sun connected to the earth, which is a simple concept. What makes us less have less melanin create a society that says we're the supreme being in this structure? We are superior to someone who's inferior to us, who has more melanin and can be out in the sun. And I think that comes from. Back in that day, that meaning something to us being outside agriculture was our way of life and not having necessarily those same resources and understanding how the mentality of people who had an abundance of resources behaved. We brought this scarcity mentality that ended up not being able to see the welcomeness we were being offered and want to cause harm to those who had access to those resources. Excellent. Numero cinco. Number five. So number five is reparations, right? If we can actually uh, have a value and start to appreciate the value of others without feeling bad about ourselves, but actually recognize the humanity that, like you were saying, that existed in in cultures of of indigenous and aboriginal people then having reparations wouldn't just be a cost and we we actually has a cost to a value because everything we do has a cost when we turn the lights on it has a cost when we buy clothes it has a cost when we leave and we drive and we go experience a you know a sporting event or whatever everything we do has a cost but we associate a value with that cost so we don't even measure them but uh, with reparations we're stuck with this cost thing so step 5 is reparations step 4 being that we have value to that and then leading us to step six would be what can we build if once we've repaired this situation? And I think we need a new mind, one that we can identify as humanitarian and and give us an example so that we can, as white folks, if we're really going to make a change, it is to stop with the control and move into a place of servitude so that we can understand how to live in a humane place and in a humane way. That is step seven in living in a manifesting humanity. You know, it is amazing because um, it is so much easier to love than to hate. It is so much easier to live harmoniously than disharmoniously. It is so much easier and actually more fun to cherish it, cherish differences. You know, I always tell folks that I I simply enjoy going to an Italian restaurant. You know, we always used to talk about melting pots, right? Right. And I actually I'm from Panama, Central America. I like salsas. I don't mind. I don't mind melting. I don't mind the melting pot, but mm-hmm. I love salsa as well. And salsa is a whole lot of different things that are identifiable 
Right. That come together, taste damn good. Mm-hmm. Right. I guess right, what else right. tastes good? The, the, the stuff that you melt in the pot tastes good too. Right, right, they're, right. They're, the one doesn't eliminate the other. It is so much easier to just say, you know what? I love human beings, isn't it? Yes, it is. And and there's just that fear that we need to really identify in ourselves that prohibits us from wanting to just share space and and enjoy one another versus try to control what do we feel like we're losing by doing so and what does losing what's the end result that we're so afraid is going to happen because there's it's projected like dl hughley i don't know if you're how familiar oh, yeah, you are i know him. him yeah but my favorite line is is that the scariest place for a black person is in the mind of white folks, right? We've created this image of, and and it's been used to keep us separated and, and not keep you separated from us because it's really used to keep us separated so that we're weaponized for powers to be, to maintain control because we want, we're afraid of what a melting pot looks like. Although I think the younger generation is no longer afraid of that. They're not. JD, uh, you just mentioned a very important thing that I preach all the time. I I don't know. You you only said it in passing, but I've I've been talking about all of us being controlled. You know, um, Mm -hmm. a lot of people think that, okay, so black folks were slaves or whatever. And what I preach now in my show is that we're all what I call antiseptic slaves. And the reason mm-hmm. I call it antiseptic slaves is that uh, the powers that be, it's just, it's in their interest to keep, you know, the conquer and divide has merit. It's right. in their interest to make sure that you fear me. Right. Because if you're concerned about me, I have control about, I have control of both you mm-hmm. and the other. Right. right. And that's, and, and, and having people understand that is very important. And that's why a book, uh, like yours is important, but also a book coming from a white man mm-hmm. stating these issues. A lot of people would, wouldn't want to say that. It's like, well, you know, a black guy can write that book too. And, you right. know, you're into and, and many of them have. Right. But the idea is you have to have, you, you know, a, a friend of mine, and this is a white girl that told me this. She said, Egbert, I'm going to tell you something. It is time. She, you know, she, I, I don't, when I became a blogger and an activist and all of that, I was not a black activist or a black mm-hmm. blogger or anything. I was a blogger. I was an activist. I was working on economic issues and mm-hmm. etc. And I specifically didn't want to work on black issues because of that association of, well, right. I don't want somebody to think black is only. And, and she said something that you are, that you sort of alluded to. And that was we, uh, racism is a white creation we are the right. ones who did this. And, you know, I, I didn't ask her to say this. And then she said, uh, we have to start telling white people to fix what's wrong. Right. Don't ask black people to fix it. Maybe right. get information as far as how you feel, what you feel, etc. cetera. Right. But remember, they are not the ones who had the whips. They are not the ones who said you couldn't vote. They are not the ones who... All these things that we consider undemocratic in this country, mm-hmm. they weren't the ones that instantiated it. Your thoughts right. on what she said? So one, absolutely. We, it's on us to really repair 
the harm that we've done. It's also on us to uh, be more curious of other cultures so that we can learn something new because we'll keep repeating the same thing mm-hmm. if we don't. Right. Like cancel culture is mostly associated with progressives. Right. But violence and, and murdering somebody is cancel culture. So right. let's not get that twisted either. Right. The, right. You know, the NRA is much as much associated with cancel culture as uh, the progressives are. Right. It's both <laughs> harmful. So if you're taking, you know, so as white folks, that's why step one is don't take a step like right. learn that maybe our real change is to move from a position of being out front and leading into a position of learning and serving and seeing the value of that. Um, and those are that's significant difference in change. But in order to do that, we have to address the repair that needs to happen. And some of that, I think, has to do with repairing our own sense of esteem, our own sense of values and changing what is valuable to us, because we're all miserable in this culture and we want change. And I think that's that was really reflected on in our country. It was reflected from George Bush to Obama that there was a desire for change. I think Obama looked like change, but didn't have the influence of changing the system itself. Mm -hmm. And so that when he left office, there was still a desire for change. And Trump, whether you like him or not, he's different. right? Right. He was different as a politician for us. The left uh, on the Democratic side, didn't recognize Bernie was different and they didn't promote that. And they promoted Hillary even because she looked different, wasn't bring. She was still part of the same practices. Mm-hmm. And I think we got so afraid of what the difference in Trump did that we brought back Biden. And now we still want change. Right. And that change needs to happen. And it's on and it's imperative for us to address the need for change and move and make a move to learn how to operate in a cooperative way. But we can't even understand the individualism and the separation and the disconnection that we have in our culture that's leading to these certain things. That's what I hope to help bring some light to. Brother J.D. Uh, J.D. Master, let me tell you, I am pretty sure that your book will be a part of, uh, a part, you know, it's going to take a whole lot of us doing a whole lot of things. And you add into the discussion and you bring in bring in these these uh, subjects, issues in. I think it's important. The last question I always ask all my guests is what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? What would I have liked? Oh, boy, that might be the toughest question I've ever been asked. Uh, <laughs> uh, what would I have? Liked? I mean, if you, or if you want to make a final statement, so, it's just as fine as well. Yeah. So how you start something and I just the values in which we start something is is often how it ends up. And so it's very hard for us in untangling this disconnected culture that we have to like the way we're structured as far as thinking about family, that's yours, this is mine, this is, you know, instead of as a group of, of whole, we we have redefined ourselves. Um, uh, how am I trying to say this properly? I think I'm confusing myself. But the level of 
being responsible socially versus being responsible individually allows for a culture to all of us to feel good about, right? Where versus being responsible individually means a lot of finger pointing. Nope, you should have done that. Nope, you were the one up. Oh, we we have been deceived so much in our culture and and it has to be deception because white supremacy is a deceptive concept. The fact that we have less melanin being dis, uh, being supreme is a lie. And if you're going to build a system that supports that lie, you have to do it around lies. So now we have this 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 culture of deception that we're dealing with. And that is what we have to untangle. And that's the biggest thing. Couldn't have said it any better myself. Uh, Brother J.D. Mass, he is the author of Race for What? A White Man's Journey and Guide to Healing Racism from Within. It was my pleasure to have you on Politics Done Right. Thank you so kindly for having been here. Thank you very much for having me. It's been over a year since we've had a studio since we've been in the studio at KPFT. Since that time, we've had to sell our building and we're in the process of getting a new building. And we are going to have a lot of work to do to put that building there. But I can't wait. I just can't wait to have those phones ring right into politics done right. And I engage with you guys. You know, I love it. Whether you're on the right, you're on the left, you're in the middle, you're an anarchist, you're a communist, you're socialist, you're a capitalist, I don't care. I can't wait to get into the conversation. And you know what? It's coming. But in order for it to come fast enough, we need these fun drives. First of all, to stay alive, to keep the lights on, to keep that transmitter sending this voice across to make sure we can have that interaction with you. But most importantly, I can't wait to get into that studio and have you guys call in and we have that discourse. We have to have that discourse now before the election. We have to get busy. Man, there only, there's only one station in Houston that is going to give us all that opportunity, that, all, that opportunity to engage, that opportunity to be a part of the body politic that everybody can hear. But folks, we need you. We need you more than ever. 713-526-5738. 713-526-5738. Please give us a call. Please support the station. Please make sure that when we get into that new building, we can we can bring you into that building. And guess what? You go ahead and contribute to Politics Done Right today. And I tell you, you will be in that studio on one of the first days when we open, sitting side by side and talking to our audience. 713-526-5738. We need you to be a part of the system now. Folks, 713-526-5738. I can't wait. I can't wait to have that bi-directional communication with all you guys, so that you can say, Egberto, I don't like what you're saying, or Egberto, I love what you're saying, or Egberto, I have something to say. Because that's what it's all about, isn't it? For us all to have something to say, to ensure that people know we are, we are all being heard. And that's what you get with politics then, right? That's what you get with KPFT. That's what you get with the Pacifica Network.
So folks, please give us a call, 713-526-5738, or go to kpft.org, kpft.org. We simply cannot do it without you. We cannot do it without you. So please, again, be a part of this positive assertion, this positive notion that we, are, that we can actually make that difference, because we can. But to make that difference, we have to be informed. To make that difference, we have to let people know that we exist. To make that difference, we need you to engage with us. We need you to contribute to us. 713-526-5738. Check out these offers with my books that that are it's it's a gift of knowledge as you help us go forward. Please get one of my several books out there. As I see it, Class Warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom for a contribution of $120. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors for a contribution of $120. How to make America utopia, take away the economy from those who rigged it for a pledge of $120. Get any two of those books for $200, any three of those books for $250. The contributions from my books go directly to support our station, KPFT 90.1 FM. Alternatively, folks, please get your basic KPFT-only membership for $40, a Pacifica-only membership for $25, or choose from one of our many other gifts for your contribution. Just go to kpft.org. Choose Politics Done Right for the program and select an option either for our books or something else to support the station. It is definitely worth it. You can listen and or watch Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politics done right or on YouTube Live at politics done right.com slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My Twitter handle is at Egberto Willis, at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. But don't you forget, listen to us live on air at KPFT 90.1 FM on Thursdays at noon and at Fridays at 11 a.m. all Central Time. Please remember to keep your community radio station in your minds. Keep KPFT on your mind. Talk about it. Tell your friends about it. Tell them you know about this station in town, 90.1 FM Houston, that needs your support. That is there to provide that nourishment that we need. KPFT 90.1 FM Houston. Well, folks, that's it for today. You know how I'm going to end this baby. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to air 
your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. 